And so let's jump into today's study. Paul, the apostle, is writing to the Ephesian church as a prisoner in Rome. He's chained up. His conditions are less than ideal. In fact, they're literally torturous. These are the creative conditions for this author. It's not exactly a cabin in the woods with a bottle of Merlot. Have you ever noticed how much easier it is to take advice from someone who is credible? And on the other side of that, have you ever noticed how hard it is to take advice from someone who's not credible? None of us are forking over cash to hire an overweight personal trainer, right? None of us are like going to the guy who's like, yes, I'll transform your body into a masterpiece as soon as I finish these fries. None of us are doing that. I'm willing to wager there's zero demand for a symposium on how to live a meaningful life conducted by Kim Kardashian. And why? Because they're not credible. They're not credible, right? God loves to use our crisis. God loves to use our trial, our struggle, our darkest time to bring credibility to the gospel. To bring credibility to the gospel. That's your first fill-in today. When we walk through those things with Christ and we handle them differently to people who don't have Christ, it brings credibility to the gospel in our lives. In the eyes of everyone who's watching us, And how many of you know that when you're going through a crisis, people are watching? People are watching. Everybody loves a train wreck. And so they love to see, are you going to be a train wreck? What's going to happen? If they know you're a believer, they want to know when the pressure's on and you're squeezed, what's going to come out? Or do we all break the same? That's what they're wondering. Whenever a person's beliefs are passed through the fire, so that the fake is burned up and and only what is real remains. It's revealed whether they have something authentic or something fake. It's revealed. When we face trials, our, our prayer should always be, Lord, help me to be faithful that your gospel in my life may be credible. May be credible. Every time we face a trial, we are either going to make the gospel more credible or less credible to the people who are watching us. People are always watching closely when our faith is being tested. So Paul is in prison. He's being tortured and beaten for the gospel. And that's why he has so much credibility. That's why he has so much credibility. When in chains, he writes in Ephesians 6 verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Of his might. This is not a tele-evangelist writing this on his iPad while he sits in his gold-plated bath. This is a man in chains for the gospel saying, I've got a word for you. Be strong in the Lord. And when that man speaks, we listen because he's credible. In that verse, you might want to underline two things. You want to underline that word strong and you're going to want to underline that word his as in the power of his might. That's how we're strong. That's how we keep the faith. That's how we persevere. 
It's not by faking it till we make it. It's not by trying really hard. It's in the power of his might, is what Paul says. Paul isn't praying, I pray that you would be a strong individual. He says, I'm praying that you would be strong in the power of his might. And here's the bottom line. You and I are not strong enough on our own to weather life storms. We're not. We're not strong enough. All the tests and trials, we're not strong enough to make it through that stuff walking in freedom and hope and joy during our darkest hour. We're going to need the strength of the Lord. You can put this on your outline. Our strength is inadequate. His strength is more than enough. Our strength is inadequate. And I think we've all felt this, this spiral where you're facing something, whether it's an addiction or a crisis or or pressure or stress, and you try to, to beat it yourself. And you can always tell when you're operating in your own strength because your self-esteem just begins to plummet and you feel like a failure because inevitably you are not strong enough. You're not strong enough. And as your self-esteem plunges, you suddenly find that it's just a coincidence that you're not clinging to Jesus, that somewhere along the line you stop praying. Somewhere along the line you stop feeding yourself the word of God and you just distanced yourself from Jesus. Those are the telltale signs that you're trying to do it in your own strength. And then you fall into the trap of failure and you say, oh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix it and then I'll go to Jesus. Then I'll go to Jesus. As though you used to be good enough for Jesus. And now you're not. When the truth is we were never good enough. He was good enough. All telltale signs. One of Satan's great deceptions. Satan loves to actually tell you, you can withstand this. You're strong enough. You can do it yourself. You're good. And it's such a great deception because it sounds like affirmation. You do it. Harness the power within. The power of you. You can do it. You can overcome it. Make yourself your God. Make yourself your hope. Make your willpower your idol. Just anything to get you away from Jesus. And it sounds like affirmation, that inner voice, but, but it's really Satan trying to pull you away from Jesus so he can just have his way with you. It's one of his great deceptions. And part of becoming mature in Christ is becoming fully aware of your inadequacies. Fully aware. Paul got so aware of his inadequacies that he actually said, I boast all the more in my weakness. Paul was a guy who would freely tell you what all his weaknesses were because he realized when I confess what my weaknesses are and people see God's power in my life and the way he uses me, God is glorified. When I try to hide all my inadequacies and pretend that I'm strong enough, all I'm really saying is is I want to make sure that everyone thinks I'm great. I want to make sure everyone thinks I've got it all together, that I'm worthy of respect and honor. Whereas Paul says, no, listen, I'll tell you all my faults so that the power of God can be more clearly seen in my life. That's what's going on with Paul. So we need to not just be passively aware of what our inadequacies are. We need to be actively aware. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by passively is the person who says, listen, I, uh, I, uh, I just have a weakness for the opposite sex. Just have a lust problem. But you know, praise Jesus for his grace. 
So the bottom line is, you're saying, I know I have this inadequacy, and I'm just going to do nothing about it under the guise of grace. Whereas actively being aware of your inadequacy says, says, listen, I know I have a weakness in this area, so I'm going to go to Jesus with this issue. I'm going to seek him in his word. I'm going to see what his word says about dealing with this issue, and and get this, I'm actually going to do it. I'm actually going to do it. That's the person who's actively understanding their own inadequacies rather than glossing them over. Paul wasn't like, yeah, yeah, here's the thing. I'm hugely into substance abuse. I do it all the time on my missionary journeys, but hallelujah for grace. Paul says, let me tell you my weaknesses and let me tell you how I'm at war with them through the power of God in my life. Power of God in my life. I have time with the Lord every day because because I want to know him. But I also have time with the Lord every day because I understand how inadequate I am. In, in our growth group this past week, uh, the session that we were watching together as a group, uh, the teacher, Matt Chandler, he just put it so well. He said, you know, yesterday's grace is for yesterday. Today's grace is for today. And tomorrow's grace is for tomorrow. And you can't live off yesterday's grace today. So I have time with the Lord every day because I wake up understanding I'm inadequate. Right now, I'm inadequately prepared to live for Christ today in this state. I need to connect with God today for today that I can have his strength and grace for today. That's being active about knowing your own inadequacies. So the question is, do my daily habits in my own life show that I'm seeking the Lord because I need him? Or do my daily habits show that I really believe I've pretty much got it all together? If you looked at my life, what would you see? If I looked at your life, what would I see? He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Because Jesus is the strength that we need. Now Paul shifts gears. He's in prison and he's looking at his guards. He's seeing their armor. And he starts thinking, yeah, I can, I can use this. I feel, a, I feel an analogy coming on. Paul is just again showing right now what it means to be strong in the Lord. Paul doesn't shift gears and say, guys, pray for me. My life sucks. Seriously. I'm in prison. I'm in chains. I'm being tortured. Man, it's just horrible. He doesn't say that. Paul has this freakishly focused mindset that wherever he is, he's there for Christ. Wherever he finds himself, he's there for Christ. He's always thinking about ministering to others. He's always thinking about the others who are watching his life that he can encourage by being strong in the Lord. So Paul says in verse 11, He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles are just schemings and plans. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is where it gets fun. One of the best movies of all time If you disagree, I'm really not interested in your opinion. One of the best movies of all time is a movie called The Usual Suspects. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Usual Suspects is amazing. Probably one of the best twists of all time. If you watch it and you're offended, just pretend your pastor didn't recommend it to you. And don't consider this a recommendation. Uh, But it's a great movie. 
And if you're not easily offended, you should watch it. Uh, It's a great movie. And there's this incredible line in it. And I won't ruin it for you by telling you what character says it. But it's an amazing line. The line is this. The line is, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And you can see this all the time. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's actually a warming up philosophically around the world towards the idea of heaven. A lot of spiritual people are are, are sort of awakening to this idea that there is a better afterlife. But what's interesting is the idea of hell is actually losing momentum drastically. So what's happening is people who don't even believe in Jesus are starting to believe in heaven in some form. But there's nobody who's starting to believe in hell. And that's one of the great deceptions of Satan. Because whether you believe he's real or not, if he owns your life, he's getting you at the end. And so Paul once again says, says, listen, this might sound a little freakish to you guys. This might be a little scary, but I need you guys to understand something. Paul says, always remember the reality of life, the true reality that we're living in, the nature of reality. Paul's getting profound. He says, we're not in a war against people, against governments, against organizations, against policies and laws, against neighbors. He says we're in a war in the spiritual world. That's what's going on. We have a, a real enemy. If we don't belong to Christ, Satan wants us for himself. And if we do belong to Christ, Satan wants us to be ineffective. He wants us to be ineffective. Because once you belong to Christ, you are his forever, as we talked about in Ephesians 1. But if you belong to Christ, Satan doesn't want you messing with his plans. So he'll do everything he can to make you ineffective, get you focused off the kingdom of God and focused on something else. For some people, that's a crisis. For some people, Satan might send millions of dollars your way if that's what it takes to get you focused off Jesus. He doesn't care if you're happy and healthy. As long as you're not effective for Christ. As long as you're not effective for Christ. Everything we experience in this world is the result of activity in the unseen spiritual world. Everything we experience in this world is the result of activity in the unseen spiritual world. If we find hatred and bitterness in ourselves and anger directed towards people, we have forgotten this truth. Really understand this. If you find your emotions of anger and bitterness and frustration directed towards people, you've forgotten that you're not in a war with people. You're in a war with a real enemy in the spiritual world. You can put this on your outline. People are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. People are not the enemy. That's not where the war is happening. The war is happening in the spiritual realm, heavenly places, as Scripture says. When my, when my pride rises up after an argument with my spouse to keep me from apologizing, there's a spiritual battle going on. There's a spiritual battle going on. It's not just them. There's a spiritual battle going on. When my work situation becomes unbearable, unbearable, and I find myself frustrated, angry with my employer, bitter towards my co-workers. There's a spiritual war going on. There's a spiritual war going on. 
when my kid decides he's not interested in Christ anymore. Just not interested. There's a spiritual war going on. That's where it's really all happening. That's where we fight. And that's the battle we need to be prepared for. Verse 13, Paul says, therefore, as we've always said, when you see a therefore, you've got to stop and ask, what is it therefore? And he's always pointing back to what he just said. So he said, guys, because we're in a spiritual battle, not in a physical battle, for that reason, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. To stand. Paul emphasizes the whole armor of God because if you leave one area exposed, you know, say you, you don't have your helmet on, but you've got a bulletproof vest and someone's coming after you. This always amazes me in movies. Why do they shoot the guy in the bulletproof vest? Always. It's like he's got an exposed head so that you can see his handsome movie star face. And it's like, that's just too pretty. I got to shoot him in the chest. Satan's not like that. If if you've got your head uncovered, but you're wearing a breastplate of armor, Satan's not going to sit there pounding on the area that you're strong in. He's smart. He's going to go for the area that's exposed. Earlier in Ephesians, we talked about bitterness, why Paul says, don't let bitterness get a root in you, because it's like giving Satan a foothold. If you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. Give him a finger, he'll take your arm. He's going for your weakest area. So Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. So if you're reading your Bible every day, hitting that out the park, but there's bitterness in you and unforgiveness towards someone that you won't let go of, guess what Satan's going after? Going after that right there. Paul says, put on the whole armor. And we can also understand from this that the goal for every believer is simply faithfulness to Christ. The goal for every believer is faithfulness to Christ. And so sort of the picture is that you are in a battle. Your whole life, you are in a battle fighting. God says, fight well. And the idea is that when your life is over, when Jesus says your battle is done, that you're found standing in the middle of the battle with your shield in one hand, your sword in the other, and you're found standing. You're found standing. Standing strong. That's the picture that Paul has. He says, listen, don't get knocked down. Don't get taken out. Don't be a wounded body that when Jesus says, your battle's over, you have to be dragged off the battlefield. He says, may God find you standing and standing strong. In verse 14, he begins to break down the armor. And he says, stand. There's that word again. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And there's a lot of different, different ways you can take this, but I like to take it literally and ask the question, what is the literal purpose of a belt? When the soldier is there next to Paul and he's got his belt girded around his waist, what is the literal purpose of his belt? I think it's twofold. The first is that it would have held the sheath of his sword. It would have supported his sword when it wasn't in his hand. The second is simply to support the armor that goes below the waist. That's the literal purpose of the belt. And so I really believe that there's some allusion here to sexual purity when Paul says, put on the belt of truth. He says, guys, listen, if you're not wearing this belt, you will literally be caught with your pants down. Literally, if you're not wearing this belt. And he says, not only that, 
but you're also going to be found with your sword around your ankles when the fighting starts. And there is man after man, there is great man of God after great man of God that has been taken out and made ineffective because they didn't have on the belt of truth. And Satan exploited them in this area. This was the area they left uncovered. Read the life of David. What happened with him and Bathsheba. He was forgiven, but he he was never the same after that. Never the same. It was all downhill from there. He was made ineffective by his bad decision. And that doesn't mean God can't restore and God can't do a work. Sometimes I believe God forgives and God restores, but the shame that you carry from that is what makes you ineffective. You're never able to believe that God's really fully forgiven you. Satan will use that too. And so it's interesting that you put on the belt of truth that the solution for this problem, this temptation, this attack is to say, listen, understand the truth. And I would say understand the truth about yourself. Understand your own weakness again. Don't walk around saying, no, 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 I I, I don't have an issue with this. That's the telltale sign for any guy with this issue. The guy who says, I don't have an issue with this. That's the guy who has an issue with it. I promise you that. I tell, I tell every single woman I can, listen, you're not looking for the guy who says he doesn't have an issue. You're looking for the guy who's doing something about it. That's what you're looking for. The guy who says, yeah, this is an issue, so I've taken these steps. Just what we talked about. I'm actively dealing with my inadequacies through Christ. That's the person you're looking for. So it's being truthful with yourself about your own weaknesses, and it's knowing the truth of what God says about it, that it destroys you, that it enslaves you, that it overwhelms you with shame. There is no person who has the Holy Spirit inside of them who has been enslaved by sexual sin, who is being effective in their spiritual life, who is making a real difference for the kingdom of God, because they're just so weighed down by the shame. You're weighed down by the guilt. Paul says, listen, the answer is being truthful. Put truth around your waist. Protect yourself. Keep your sword at your side. Stay ready. Protect yourself. That's the belt of truth. He continues, he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And very simply, the breastplate protects your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Your heart determines the course of your life. Very simple what Paul is saying. is He's saying, listen, think about what you're doing to your heart. Think about what you're digesting, the media you're watching. Think about where you're hanging out. Think about what you're putting into your heart because it will set the direction of your life all by itself. It naturally will do that. He says, so put on righteousness. Stay away from sin. Don't dabble with it. Scripture says, can a man take fire into his lap and not be burned? Paul says, stay away from that. Stay righteous. Stay focused. Because when you do that, you're protecting your heart. It's not about saying, hey, I'm a super good person. Here's all the things I don't do. It's about saying, listen, my, my heart sets the course of my life. And so I'm not flippant about the condition of my heart because I know what I want the direction of my life to be. And I decided to stop playing around with that. It says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. In verse 15, he says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
The picture here is someone like tying on their sandals. We don't really have any sandals like this today, and if you saw somebody wearing them, they'd definitely be an extreme hipster of the highest order because these are like leather sandals that you tie around your ankles and they're tied on tight. But for us, maybe a good analogy would be a soccer player putting on his cleats, and as he's tying them on, he's doing it with purpose. He's thinking about the game. He's not putting on his cleats saying, man, I can't wait to go shopping at the mall. You know, if he is, he's not a very good soccer player. But there's intentionality. And what what Paul is trying to put in our minds as a picture is he's saying, literally, when you put on your shoes, when you go out your home to work, to shop, to play, for recreation, he says, do it with the gospel in mind. Understanding this truth that God's word says, everywhere you go, you are ambassadors for Christ ambassadors for Christ. Paul is saying, don't just think, oh, it's work. It's just work. Don't think, oh, it's just school. It's just school. It's just hanging out with friends. He says, put your shoes on like you're getting ready for a game. Get your mind in the game, remembering that everything in life is about being an ambassador for Christ. He says, be ready with the gospel. Make the gospel credible everywhere that you go. Every time you put on your shoes. Nothing we do is meaningless if we remember this truth. We carry Jesus with us everywhere. Everywhere. Nothing we do is meaningless if we remember that we are taking Jesus to wherever we're going. Wherever we're going. That brings meaning to what we do. In verse 16, he says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Here's the interesting thing about a fiery dart. A fiery dart wasn't designed in warfare to do its greatest damage as simply an arrow. It was designed to set whatever it hit on fire. You know, if I stand outside your house and shoot an arrow into your wall, it's going to do limited damage. If it's me, it's probably not even going to hit the house. It's probably going to hit a cat next door or something like that. (laughs) But if I have it on fire... And I shoot it into your house. The fire goes into your house and it just sits there burning. You can take out your entire house with one arrow, one fiery dart. So this is the attacks of Satan. These are arrows that are literally shot from hell. And it's designed to set us on fire. It's that one little thought that suddenly explodes into an inferno. You ever had that? I know we've all had that where they just come out of nowhere. You're good, you're focused on Christ, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you're fighting lust. It's out of nowhere. And it's Satan shooting that fiery dart, trying to start an inferno within you. You you were totally at peace one minute, and suddenly you have a thought that fills your mind with doubt. And the thought begins to spiral and begins to snowball. And suddenly there's doubt and there's fear, and it's overwhelming. That's a fiery dart. It's a fiery dart. They're aimed with precision and purpose, and our defense against them is knowing who we are in Christ. I could talk all day, literally, about faith. I won't. Don't worry. But let me say this simply. The bigger your faith, the bigger your shield. The bigger your faith, the bigger your shield. The bigger your faith, the more effectively you'll be able to ward off those fiery darts. And this is the cycle of faith. Faith comes from knowing what God's Word says. Hebrews says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith comes from knowing what God's word says, applying it to your life, seeing God honor that, 
And then you go, whoa, this stuff actually works. And next time it happens, you trust him. And faith builds upon faith. Every time you trust God and he comes through for you, we're supposed to trust him with more. And every time you do that, it's like your shield is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So when that fiery dart comes full of doubt and full of fear, if you've never trusted God and done things his way, don't expect to have enough faith because you're holding up a bare arm against that fiery dart. But you might be able to deflect it if you've trusted him a little bit. You've got a little bit of faith. But maybe faith is built upon faith. For me, I'll give you one example of what this has looked like in my life. I I was blessed. I was raised in a believing family. And so I started tithing probably when I was like 10, when it's really easy. And it's like 10 cents. All this is yours, Lord. I'm trusting you with this. Even though I'm supposed to have fun with only 90 cents, and I I don't know how that's possible, but I'll trust you with this 10 cents. So I've been doing that my whole life, and as our income went up, as we became adults, I continued to trust God. So there's, there's a track record there of trusting God in the area of finances. That's 20 years long in my life. So when Satan comes and Satan says, listen, you're gonna run out of money. This whole thing is gonna go south going to go broke. You're going to end up with your family sleeping under a bridge. At first, it's like, oh, 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 man. Whoa, that's a serious thought. But then the Holy Spirit begins to say, listen, you really believe that? Like, this is the time God's not going to be faithful? This is the time you're going to be sleeping under a bridge with your five kids? Really? Really? And you go, oh, man, God, you've always been faithful. You've always been faithful. Your word promises you're faithful. Even when we're faithless, you remain faithful. Shield goes up. The arrow doesn't do any damage. Doesn't do any damage. If you've never trusted God in that area, suddenly the attack comes and Satan says, listen, you're in a financial crisis. You're going to end up homeless. It's all going to go horribly wrong. You've got no reason to believe otherwise. You've got nothing to stand on, no shield to stand up because you've never trusted God. You don't have that shield. So faith is a big, big, big deal. Faith is being able to say, I know what God's word says. I've seen it work in my own life. Every time I've trusted the Lord, he's come through for me. He's never failed me and he's not gonna fail me now. Get that arrow out of here, come on. All of Paul's instructions about the armor of God are for us personally as individuals, but they're also for us corporately as the church. And Roman soldiers were each given a rectangular shield that was about two feet wide and and four feet high. And they had little hooks on the side so that they could actually link together. And you might have seen this in movies. But they would get into formation in a really sort of cool way. They'd get into formation in kind of a rectangle. And every soldier on the outside would link shields and hold their shield on the side. And every soldier that wasn't on the outside that was in the middle would link shields above their head. And they would do that because the enemy would be shooting these fiery darts straight at them, but they'd also be lobbing them high into the air. And so they would hold the shields over their head and on the side they would link up as a company and they would just sort of march in time like that. And the arrows would just bounce off. they just bounce off. It was an incredibly intimidating formation when you saw these guys just coming because the point of arrows is to do as much damage to you as possible before you get down into the hand-to-hand combat. When you were fighting the Romans, you barely took out a single person before they got right up into your face. And then they unlinked shields and got into hand-to-hand combat with their swords. 
but they were incredibly effective when they were linked. Because as an individual, a shield is helpful. But when you link shields, you're covered on every single side. Every single side. You're not exposed on any side. And we talked a few weeks ago. This is why Paul says, listen, are, are we not to judge those inside the church and not worry about those outside? God judges those outside. But aren't we supposed to actually judge each other? And what Paul is talking about is Paul is saying, listen, we're, we're a church. We are a military company for sake of analogy. We're supposed to have linked shields of faith to cover each other. When Paul says judge one another in the church, he's talking about saying to somebody, hey, you're not holding your shield up. You're exposing us. You're allowing the enemy a chance to come in among us. Get your shield up. Paul is talking about the thing in your life where you have given the enemy a foothold. He's saying somebody in your church, if they find out about that, for the sake of everybody, for the sake of the individual, has to say, listen, you got to forgive that person. You got to forgive them. You're exposing yourself. You're giving the enemy a free shot. Stop it. Stop doing that. But what you'll find is that there are a lot of people who don't want that. They're like, hey, my armor's my business. It's my business. If I don't want to wear a belt, I don't have to wear a belt. It's none of your business. Paul says, no, 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 no. You don't have the right idea of how church works. He says, that's what unity is all about. It's about being one. You're committed to be a member of this company. When when you're a part of a military unit, you don't get to say, hey, I know you guys are going to war, but here's the thing. I just got a smoothie machine, so I'm going to stay here and make some Mai Tais, and I'll catch up with you guys later. That doesn't fly in the military. But I think as time has passed since the establishment of the church, the commitment to Christ in the church tends to gravitate towards becoming more and more casual. More and more casual. I want a little bit of encouragement. I want to feel good about myself. I want to know that Jesus loves me. But hey, hey, do not get up in my business. Don't do that. Don't do that. Paul says, listen, if you guys are really in this together, you have to be open to somebody else saying, hey, get your shield up, man. Get your shield up. Because when your shields are up, not only do you defend yourselves, but you're able to actually gain ground. As a group, as a collective, you can actually move forward and make a difference and get into the fight and begin to be effective. You and I need to be a part of that kind of church. You and I need to be a part of the church. Notice that I didn't say we need to go to church. I said we need to be the church. We need to be like that to one another. Be all in and say, listen, if you ever see part of my armor missing, Please let me know. Please let me know. Because I'd rather humble myself than take a shot from the enemy. Because those are really the two options. Humble yourself, get your armor back on, or keep your pride and take a direct shot. There's no option where you get to keep your pride and stay protected. Have to make a choice. Have to make a choice. Verse 17, he says, and take the helmet of salvation. In 1 Thessalonians, it says that we should put on as a helmet the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. And so the picture here is just saying, listen, cover your mind with the reality of the gospel. The reality that you belong to Jesus. 
Let everything that you think about flow through that filter. You belong to Christ. You are forgiven. You are his child. You will spend eternity in the presence of Jesus. There is nothing you can do that will separate you from him. Nothing. You can do all things through Christ. And he loved you so much that he died for you. Paul says, keep your mind on that. Keep your mind on that. Another way is to simply say we're to live in light of the gospel to live in light of the gospel. What does that mean? It means to simply say, if Jesus has really died for you and given himself for you, the right response is not, thank you, Jesus, now I'm gonna go do my own thing. The right response is, what do you want from me? How can I serve you? How can I honor you? Paul says, keep your mind on the gospel and you will stay focused on Christ. You will see things the right way. Keep your mind on the gospel and you won't lose hope when everything doesn't come together in this life because the gospel says it will all come together in the next life when all things come together in Christ. Keep your mind on the gospel. Just as a commanding officer might yell at his troops, keep your mind on the mission. Paul yells at us, keep your mind on the gospel. Keep your mind on the gospel. Don't lose track. Don't get distracted. He keeps going. He says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And I love this. And I'm in agony that I can't teach for two more hours about the word because then you would be in agony. So I'm not going to do that. But you can write this down. The sword is for offense. The sword is for offense. It is for attacking when it's time to take some new ground or it's time to recover some, gra- some ground that we've lost, we do this by wielding the word of God like a weapon. And how is it a weapon? It's a weapon because it is full of the promises of God and the promises of Christ. And he's never failed to keep a single one. You can build your life on them. You can take them to the bank. And when those fiery darts start coming, You say, man, I got faith because I've trusted in the word of God. When you want to take new ground for God, when there's a relationship that's just falling apart and causing contention, the word of God is where you go. You don't go to a place where you say, you know what, the solution is thinking happy thoughts. It says, no, I can do all things through Christ. All things through Christ. Christ said, if you want to be forgiven, you've got to forgive. God, I want to forgive. And you promise in your word that you'll give me the strength to do that. Using God's word as a weapon. When you use God's word as a weapon, you're able to expose all the lies of Satan. You notice that when Jesus got tempted in the desert, he had fasted for 40 days, and at his lowest point, his weakest point, Satan shows up to tempt him. Jesus doesn't just yell at Satan. He brings out the word of God. Satan tempts him with lies, and he knows the word because he wrote it. He says, no, 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 this is what the word says. This is what the word says. Jesus didn't have to do that, but he did it to model for us how to deal with temptation, how to deal with attack, how to keep going on your mission and gaining new ground. The word of God exposes the lies of the enemy, and there are so many believers who've been made ineffective because they've been pulled away by lies because they don't even know the truth of God's word, and they've believed a lie. They've believed another gospel. They've believed in another Jesus. Know the word of God so that you can expose the lies of Satan that he tries to throw at you. Now remember when Daniel was fasting in Babylon. He fasted for for 21 days. Then the most interesting thing happens. An angel shows up in front of him. He sees an angel. And this angel says to Daniel, he says, 
He says, I want you to know, Daniel, I came to your aid the minute you started praying, the day you started praying. I came to you. I was sent from heaven when you called for help. He says, but I've been held up in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly places. He says, I came into contact with the demon who is over this region. He's called in scripture the prince of Persia. And this is a demon who has literally been given control over this specific area, Babylon. If you know anything about scripture, you know that Babylon is a stronghold spiritually of Satan. It's representative of a stronghold. And the angel said, listen, we were going at it for 21 days. Every day you're praying, we are fighting. We are going back and forth, fighting each other. It got so intense that Michael, the archangel from heaven, came and helped me clean up the mess. And so here I am now. And what we take away from that is something huge, that there is a war going on in the spiritual world. So don't lose heart when you're praying, and there's not an immediate result like that. There's not an immediate result. That's literally like being a soldier taking a cannon and firing it across the battlefield at the enemy and going, oh, there's still some left. Yes, we better go home. We tried. We tried. You keep pounding away. You keep going. I was thinking even about the storming of the beach at Normandy, you know? How different our world would be if people didn't understand that you just got to keep going. You just can't stop because defeat is not an option. Paul says you got to take that mindset into dealing with the spiritual world. When you're praying day after day and you feel like God doesn't hear your prayers, it means there is an epic war going on. There's a war going on for the soul of your coworkers, your family members, your spouse, your kids. There's a war going on. That's why in verse 18, Paul says that we should be praying always with all prayer and supplication. Supplication is just asking passionately in the Spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Paul told the Thessalonian church to pray without ceasing. Jesus told the parable that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Not lose heart. And now Paul brings it back around to his own situation. Once again, he demonstrates for us what it means to be strong in Christ. Paul doesn't say, no, if it's okay, I'm just going to whine for these last few verses because I've earned it. Paul says in verse 19, he says, And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that the right words to say may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Man, Paul has the helmet of salvation firmly on his head. He's got his head in the game. He realizes, I was an ambassador for Christ when I was with you, Ephesians, and I am an ambassador for Christ now in prison in Rome. My role is the same. My calling is the same. My location is irrelevant. My situation is irrelevant. I am the same thing. I am an ambassador for Christ So more than praying that my circumstances would change, pray that I'd be bold. Pray that I'd be full of the power of God, the power of the gospel. That's what it means to stay strong, to stand strong. It means to have your head in the game, remembering that you're an ambassador for Christ wherever you find yourself now, wherever you find yourself, and that the solution 
to seeing God move powerfully in your life is not a change of circumstances. It's more of God, more of his power in your life. Paul concludes his letter to the Ephesians with a greeting in verse 21. He says, but that you may also know my affairs and how I'm doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. And Tychicus is just a minister of the gospel, a co-laborer in Christ who traveled with Paul on a couple of his missionary journeys, and Paul sent him to go minister to the Ephesian church. And Paul benefited from men like Tychicus who looked on and said, listen, you're doing a good work, Paul. How can I help? And that's who Tychicus was. He was a guy who just said, how can I help? I love what you're doing. I see God in it. Hopefully that's the heart that we all have towards the kingdom of God. Will you see God doing a good work? Jump on board. Ask the question, how can I help? In verse 23, he says, Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So we have this great picture of of putting on the armor of God. and, And if it's too complicated, you can simplify it all down to Romans 13, 14 where Paul just says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus was all of these things when he was on the earth. He embodied living with the armor of God firmly in place. He embodied strength as he lived under the specter of his coming death. He ministered to others under the coming death that he knew was awaiting him around the next corner of his life. He modeled strength when he willingly obeyed the Father even to the point of death on the cross. And Jesus was found standing strong. He was found standing strong. And may we be like him. So let's make it practical this morning. Just use the armor as a checklist to see how we're doing, to see if we're exposed anywhere. The belt of truth. And is there sexual sin in our lives that's making us ineffective? The breastplate of righteousness, are are we guarding our hearts? What are you consuming? What are we watching? What are we listening to? Where are we hanging out? How are we conditioning our heart? The shoes of the gospel of peace, are we viewing ourselves as ambassadors or do we write off enormous parts of our day? That's just work. That's different. That's just school. The shield of faith, we hear God's word, we obey God's word. We see a move in our lives and our faith is built up. So is there any area of our lives where we know what the word of God says and we're just saying no? Nah, I'm not gonna do that. Not gonna do that. That's the area Satan's gonna go after. There's a fiery dart being aimed right there. So the question is, when you hold up your arm, will there be a shield on it? Saying, nah, I've already trusted God in this area. I know his way's better. He's got this. The helmet of salvation. Are are we living in light of the gospel? I love this question. Is there anything different about our priorities and the priorities of those who don't know Christ at all? Is there any difference? Are we living in light of the gospel? Then the sword of the spirit. Do we have a daily discipline of getting into the word of God? Do we have a discipline? Do we have a plan? So it's these two questions which are simply, what is obedience look like in my life to this? What does it look like? And then when am I gonna start doing it? And those are the questions that we can meditate on as we worship a little bit more and have the opportunity to take communion. 
What does obedience look like and when, when are you going to do it? When am I going to do it? If we need to be in the word, what's the plan? When are we going to start? If we're enslaved in sin, when are we going to stop? How are we going to stop? What are we going to do? What safeguards are we going to put in place? That, that's the difference between whether today is a nice little talk or whether this is life-changing, the word of God going to work in our lives. We have to decide what obedience looks like and then we have to decide when we're going to do it. When are we actually going to be obedient? 